user interface will become so intuitive that the need to learn about IT to use it will become very minimal. are listening to Understanding the Future podcast. I am the host Punit Gandhi and this podcast is developed in association with Climate Center for Cities under the National Institute of Urban Affairs and the Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs. This is a podcast where we discuss about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, innovation and sustainability with the help of leaders and visionaries working on ground as well as in the top management of public and private sector. Our objective is to better understand the future so that we can be prepared and intervene to enable climate actions in the urban areas. Hello everyone, I am Punit Gandhi, the host of the podcast Understanding the Future and today we have with us Mr. Vikas Kanungo, who is Senior Consultant for the World Bank Group for Digital Development and Global Practices. Mr. Vikas Kanungu will help us in understanding the future of digital urban governance. Welcome to the show, Mr. Vikas. And it would be great if you could just give us a brief background about yourself and the work you do with the digital development global practices. Thank you, Puneet. Uh, Well, by way of introduction my name is vikas kanungo i work with the digital development global practice of the world bank since uh, 2008 so this has been around 11 years now before that i have uh, worked with the european commission and helped them create a e-governance policy till 2050 for the european union and uh, i've also worked as an advisor with uh, Government of India in helping them formulate their uh, mobile governance policy and with UNDP in helping India enhance their uh, public service delivery. In addition to that, I have worked with more than 20 organizations across the world, but uh, largely in the domain of ICT, starting from the time when computers were used on a DOS operating system to their time. Now, when we're talking about industry 4.0, robotics and uh, all those things. I think it would be a great start to set a context of what is digital governance and what is digital urban governance for the audience. Two things. Digital governance basically would be in very simple words to deliver public services in the pocket of citizens where their mobile phones so moving from era where for every service you have to visit a particular department of government you know for water you go to water department for electricity you go to electricity department for other services you so there are multitude of departments you had to go before uh, the digital governance came in but with digital governance, you don't need to know which department you have to go to. You just ask for a service and the system finds the relevant department and the officers uh, for you based upon the information you provide. So this is basically a concept of where 
the government reaches out to the citizens rather than the citizens uh, reaching to the government now in the context of urban in cities so far you know the definition of urban governance was limited to what a ulb or urban local body delivers but mm-hmm. as we all know that in a city you also have health department which may not be under the ulb you have roads department you have traffic police you have normal police which may or may not come under the jurisdiction of a urban local body so when we are talking about our urban governance or the smart cities we are applying concept of digital governance at at a city level where the city becomes a platform for delivering multiple services to citizens while on the back end all all these departments collaborate and integrate with each other so that the whole of government or a uniform experience can be provided to citizens okay and uh, if you have to look at it i think that i'm i'm sure that a lot of things have already happened in india also on these lines we have also come up with something like aadhar and now ndhm uh, national digital health mission is being talked about and a lot of other services which have been digitized and which are technically at a lot of top levels that that have come up from the center do you see such kind of things getting taken up by the urban body as well or state body as well to promote such kind of digital initiatives yes in fact if you look at uh, the first stage of digital governance the focus was largely on services which were ad hoc services say for example you put up a huge digital infrastructure to provide birth and death certificates or in case of municipalities uh, i'll talk only about municipal services for a clarity you talk about uh, paying your property taxes your water bills or electricity bills these are the services which basically are called ad hoc services because for birth and death the interaction of a citizen with the system is only once in a lifetime yeah or uh, your domicile certificates again once in a lifetime for property tax once in a year for electricity once in a month but with surety of the digital governance or uh, the city governance uh, uh, using the digital means people now look for day to day services say for example uh, having transport in a city through multiple modes whether it is bus metro uh, or any other means the citizen mm-hmm. wants the government to provide a seamless service for that mm-hmm. to be able to have wifis uh, hotspots while moving around in the city finding out information about a place where you are so with digital governance advancement we have now moved to a stage where we are providing day to day services to the citizens based upon demand rather than the earlier monolithic and you know ad hoc services so that's a big change that has come over these years uh, at least at the cities level where uh, the penetration of smartphones and mobile devices is much more compared to the rural areas okay so what are what are some of the major challenges do you see from your perspective in developing such things for the cities 
and uh, where do they lie as of right now in current context so see basically till now we had been talking about the services uh, which could widely be put under an umbrella of e governance services yeah now with industry 4.0 technologies available with uh, say for example cameras video cameras being installed in the entire city the sensors for the water network etc we mm. have now entered an era where uh, uh, e governance services have only become a very small part of all the services which citizens want uh, with yeah. these industry for zero technologies we are talking about now cyber physical integration which mm. means we are trying to make our brick and mortar infrastructure smart by putting sensors for example nowadays uh, this is a common place in most of the cities where the street lights automatically you know become on once the density of light uh, from the sun goes down. and the yeah. moment that increases the lights go off automatically Uh, you don't need any person from the municipality to be able to do it which they used to do earlier and each pole had a switch which had to be put on uh, now with cyber physical integration we've made this entire street light system smart which can understand when it has to go up and uh, you know one step further uh, in some of the advanced countries like south korea etc where the street lighting also manages its intensity based upon the profile of an area okay so if there is an area where the crimes uh, are more common the lighting intensity in the night increases so that uh, the place is well lit or if somewhere doing some festival etc the lighting can be changed based upon the mood and you don't have to do it manually the information fed in the system is used by an artificial intelligence module to do all these things for you similarly the, the poles have these voice sensors so the moment you hear a loud, loud voice like a gunshot automatically police is informed and the pole is able to tell the location as to where incident has happened so okay. now uh, are uh, moving into an area where the systems or the brick and mortar infrastructure becomes smart so that hmm. the government deliver services on a proactive basis uh, without a citizen even demanding it which was not the case earlier earlier you were to first request for a service wait for somebody to look at your request and then deliver the service now the system knows based upon who you are where you are and why you are there as to what service uh, you might require and offers it proactively okay and that is where i see like uh, now a lot of services are also called on lines of major words like ai ml or blockchain are coming into to facilitate such kind of direct benefits for either managing the services or managing any other form of requirement for the city governments at the same time we are also talking about the integration of biometric and face recognition and things like that 
that this will always work in the background which citizens never know of it and most of the time they don't know but when we are talking about cameras recording or basically traffic like uh, traffic signals now have most of them have good amount of cameras on roads which can monitor that if you have broken the signal you can get a fine for it so what other kinds of direct apart from facial recognition and biometric what kind of use cases do you see coming out of this whole ecosystem so basically the way where i see this moving uh, based upon what is happening in some of the countries which are on top of uh, smart services index is yeah. where a citizen uh, would be in a position to personalize the services for himself okay through an interface providers uh, which means uh, two things one personalize and second uh, do this personalization in real time which means if i am traveling to the airport today yeah and i might need a wheelchair which means i will have to disclose my information about being a disabled okay. so but i may need to in disclose that information only for availing this service otherwise maybe i want to keep it private to myself so i am okay. able to personalize a service by giving a consent at one time for using my data and after mm-hmm. utilizing that service withdraw that consent so that 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 particular information which i have shared may not be used for any other purpose so it it would be you know going forward we will soon see a scenario in next 5 to 10 years where each of the citizen would be able to personalize the government interface as per their own uh, choice and preferences not only uh, for sharing information but also the channel of choice say for example if i am not very digitally literate and i want the services to be delivered to me through an ivr channel where i can speak in my language and interact with the system hmm. or something which uh, in india may not be seen immediately but globally if you see this entire cycle of development we have moved from uh, desktops to laptops to palm tops to mobiles and the next cycle would be the embedded systems yeah. especially the i think covid outbreak this entire development uh, of having embedded systems uh, is now has picked up the pace like never before so maybe in very near future we will have some system embedded onto our body which can tell whether we have a fever or we are going to need a doctor yeah our 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 pulse rate, our temperature, everything. This is being used in uh, some of the countries, but uh, uh, wherever it is being used, those countries at the moment are not uh, uh, very democratic countries where this has been imposed onto the citizens. So we will still need to get this technology matured enough where uh, I can use it at my own choice rather than being imposed on me by the administration. okay so here then comes a part where citizens directly have to interact and understand this processes and that is where no doubt now with mobile penetration going high having geo as well on the market and decreasing the price of internet uh, has helped in better penetration of internet as well 
how does that translate into adopting to these services? Because that is still something which is lacking at a lot of places. Uh, so how can that kind of incentivization be built so that more and more people can come in, not only people who are educated, but also people who are at the bottom of the pyramid and would require a lot of different benefits from the government. How can those be integrated into this whole ecosystem in urban areas? So uh, I think that's very, very important uh, question and also still uh, very recently been a challenge to uh, many governments. You know, you have very low digital literacy at rural areas. There are language issues. How do you make sure that everybody has equal access to these services? But now uh, with design thinking, with artificial intelligence, you know, the scenario uh, can totally be turned on its head instead of the requirement of citizens having to learn digital skills hmm. would make machines learn about how citizens interact. Okay. You know, that is where new uh, kind of interfaces uh, uh, will be seen in near future where, uh, as I said, you know, these smart systems can know uh, since we have your identity with your consent, we have your documents in your digital locker, which you can give a consent to uh, you know, provide specific information you want. The system can proactively know what kind of a service you might require and which is the channel of choice. So uh, digital literacy no more would mean that uh, you will need to learn interacting with very complicated uh, software applications, but it would be as easy as, uh, you know, writing a message on a WhatsApp group, or if you cannot even write, you are not even literate. Otherwise, you can speak demand a service. So those things are still on the maturity curve, but very soon, I think digital literacy would mean the machine having to learn what a citizen might want and how to interact with the citizens as much as the humans will need to learn to interact with the machines. But uh, with design thinking, it's going to be much and much uh, easier because if you see generation now, if I uh, give a iPhone or a, a good smartphone to a kid without teaching, it is able to figure out how to use it. So the user interfaces are becoming that much intuitive and smart to make it easier for people. So of course, digital literacy in terms of Awareness to use these systems still uh, will need to be done by the governments and that is going to be a huge task. Yeah. But it is going to be that complicated for the people to be able to interact with digital systems. Okay. But then how do, how do ULBs and state government become part of it? Because currently uh, we do see that a lot of such initiatives are again there on the national level as well that we are trying to build up uh, urban data exchange or uh, in urban innovation stack or citizen-centric uh, smart governance. So there are a lot of initiatives already in place for them. But we also need that kind of capacity on the ground to make sure that that can be developed. And then there comes the part of where this usage will come in, where design thinking and everything will help us. So uh, how do we fill up the middle gap? How do we make sure that that can function 
in the best way possible to make sure that eventually citizens can get the maximum benefit out of it so basically uh, you know that's another big challenge which has shaped the way systems are designed the entire digital usage is now moving from a pipeline mode to a platform mode hmm. uh, as rightly said you know the cities might not have individually might not have capacity to design and implement these kinds of complex solutions which you know at the back end may be very complex but on the front end they are going to be that much easier for citizens to use true even if the cities or many of the cities had the capacity given the fact that you know we are a developing country and also in developed countries there is no need to develop these systems so many times over so that is where uh, the role of central government or ccsg comes where the government may be able to provide a unified i'm not saying uniform a unified platform with all these common components which may be the user interface the iot engine for uh, interacting with the sensors the national id jandhan aadhar and uh, bank account linkage etc as the shared common public goods so all these complex pieces may be built at the national level as a shared good which each of the cities can just utilize you know they can either utilize it uh, free of cost or they can pay a very minimal amount which would be uh, at 150th of having to develop these uh, systems on their own so one of the good examples of that in india at least is already there with the government of india announcing national digital health blueprint hmm. which which basically provides for a shared a uh, common digital infrastructure for keeping your medical records for accessing uh, telemedicine for talking to the best doctors using the same platform irrespective of which state or city you reside in you you would be able to use this common shared uh, digital platform at a national level i think a similar thing is being attempted through national uh, urban innovation stack or national new gp which is national urban governance platform and okay. ccsg is the first step in that direction which is trying to take up some of the services on a pri- priority basis and build this kind of a shared service platform at a national level okay and then does it become so does government here become as an enabler of that ecosystem or uh, does government become here as a broker of the ecosystem where does government come in here two things basically one for this kind of a system to work uniformly across the country uh, and provide benefits to multiple cities to use it as a common platform the government first has a role of setting up and notifying both governance and technology standards so that he player who wants to be a part of this ecosystem can become a part of this ecosystem without any discrimination which means that it should the system should not be monopolized by one player or another 
So those kinds of rules will have to be set up by the government. Those kinds of standards will have to be notified. Second, if we know, and we already know, at least in urban, that there are some common elements which are service agnostic. Say, for example, a GIS engine for a city, hmm. uh, uh, an IoT engine for you know interfacing sensors, a data analytics engine for making sense of the data, a common repository or a registry for identity of people through Aadhaar, their bank accounts, another repository for uh, defining the uh, you know properties of people as if whether he's a farmer, he's below poverty line, he's above poverty line. Those things could be provided by the government as a shared platform. Now, whether the government wants to do it uh, uh, with their own money or they want to engage a private player in a PPP mode, it will depend on uh, how the government wants to do it. And uh, also the federal structure of India would also kick in because as you see, in case of GST, the government has been able to create consensus among states and then built the system itself and provided it to every state uh, to utilize. Similar is for passport, uh, uh, where you have a common uh, digital platform, which is used by all the states. For income tax, we have done that. Yeah. So for whether the government wants to provide, uh, the only difference is GST, income tax, and uh, passports have been central subjects, even if the implementation yeah. is at the state level, so they could do it. But urban is something which is not even a state subject, it is one layer below that. So yeah. creating consensus on using uh, common platforms or components would be possible only if the government is able to demonstrate the use of that and the benefit of that. But uh, I think if we can't do it uh, for the entire nation at a central level, at least each state can set up these kinds of platforms so, so that all the cities within the state use a common platform and uh, avoid both duplication and also overcome the problem of capacity at uh, the individual city levels. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, that, that is where even I was coming next was, uh, so should we also decentralize the model of, or how can we actually decentralize this model of development as well to a certain extent? Because uh, India being a big country has definitely a lot of challenges in each of its geography, which are different. No doubt we try to create a centralized system or ecosystem for that. It does get very difficult for it. So how can that challenge be taken up by state governments or bigger urban local bodies or in that region to help and cater to the surrounding urban local bodies so that everything can be encompassed or they can be leader cities of their own and they can help out the remote towns around their cities. How can something work out on that aspect of it? See, basically, when we talk about an ecosystem, that itself means that nobody is controlling it. It is driven through a shared set of technology standards and the governance rules. Uh, as an example, uh, you know, take Amazon. Hmm. It has an underlying technology piece, which is shared by everybody. 
but on top of that each vendor is able to decide which prod product he wants to sell how does he want to package his project at what cost does he want to sell but the underlying supply chain say for example is common so uh, uh, whether you are a very small vendor or a big vendor you don't have to worry about the logistics of delivering your product to the end user so that is provided a common component of that system uh, the data analytics piece for example you know if somebody has bought Uh, say a chocolate earlier and you selling chocolates your product is automatically displayed to that person so the data analytics a small vendor uh, in a village making his local chocolates doesn't have to worry about data analytics so when we are talking about this kind of a national urban service delivery system or uh, rather than ecosystem hmm. the components of your uh, digital identity in the form of aadhar or linking it with your consent the consent management uh, artifact using sensors the iot engine etc are the common platforms which do not require the ecosystem player to invest on that but if say for example based upon usage of your identity location and your uh, you know income level some small application provider had to develop a very innovative app he would have level playing field with somebody like tcs or wipro because the underlying architecture of data analytics identity linkage bank account linkage is already provided by the platform so when we are yeah. talking about this ecosystem approach it is not about controlling it is about enabling multiple players to provide services by having a uniform and a level playing digital architecture which is equally available to every player irrespective of his size so yeah. when we talk about this national urban uh, innovation stack we talking about these artifacts we not talking about the applications the applications would be specific city specific anybody should be able to come in and the cities would be in a position either to subscribe to some of these hundreds of applications which will be available on the platform or develop their own applications put them on the platform and make them available to others to use so that's the concept okay and uh, that that really sounds like an interesting concept to look at because it is quite open in its own form and uh, there will be good amount of cross learnings as well as good amount of competitions i do see as well coming up which might make the system better as well so looking on those lines how do you see a average city uh, so there will always be some front runners in this whole ecosystem and some who will lag around it uh, on this whole uh, part of digitization so will it be more citizen based a scenario where they will be front runners or will it be or lagging behind or will it be adaptation of those sent, uh, state or ulbs where you see major challenge will come in see basically whenever you do any kind of a new innovation there are always front runners and there are always people who join late yes. this will happen in this case so say for example uh, i remember when the mobile phones uh, were launched 
the incoming call was 24 rupees a minute and outgoing was also 24 rupees a minute yeah. so there were few people who basically subscribed to that but uh, maybe uh, it's a matter of study if somebody finds out that those would be the people who might have benefited the most by accessing information which was not available to others same with internet but yeah. what happened is once these people who are pioneers take this up and uh, uh, create economies of scales the systems become more affordable the interfaces mature and more and more people are able to join in so uh, i think that's how any evolution happens you know it is development and it is then uh, reaching a threshold uh, of stimulation and then uh, more and more people coming in so this will happen in this case also uh, uh, the only thing is we can and government of india is doing that ministry of uh, housing and urban affairs where you are reducing the entry barriers for those cities which uh, are considered to be uh, backward or not that tax savvy by providing common minimum digital infrastructure to everybody okay so today city which might be thinking you know data analytics or using sensors is a very tough task i don't have capacity to do it yeah but if they know that such a platform is available as a shared public good and i only have to worry about a small application which is related to my usage on top of that hmm. might be more people coming in at the beginning itself because we when we say we the government either at the central level or state level would have taken care of most of the complexities and provided a common digital infrastructure to everybody so this would uh, to to my mind this would actually make more people becoming uh, uh, mainstream at a much faster pace than uh, if we implemented uh, the way where we ask each city to do it on their own okay and then one of the last questions i would have is on the lines of open data and because this is such a huge amount of data that we are looking at and a huge amount of information that will come up in terms of habits which will definitely help if utilized properly by ulbs to cater and maximize their efficiencies on one side but how does the Uh, do you think that here open data uh, portals will make more sense for them or it has to be closed to make sure that uh, no misuse of this whole thing is done in any format so see basically i don't know if you are aware that uh, just about a week back government of india has launched something called uh, data empowerment and protection framework okay uh, DEPA the paper has been launched by Niti Aayog okay this I'll is still yeah this is still at a stage where uh, it is being put out for public uh, consultation but the basic philosophy of this data empowerment uh, and protection framework is that data should be able to empower citizens which means that so far we are talking about i will take your data and i ask you to sign on a 
a consent or an agreement which says that I'll use your data, I'll use your contacts, I'll use your yeah. pictures, the kind of ones we sign on WhatsApp and everywhere. Yeah. This particular framework says that, you know, that power now shifts to the citizen. So, okay. you know, it works on a premise that, you know, we might have people in rural areas mm. who might be financially poor, but mm. they might be data rich by way of the data they generate with their transactions or with their uh, activities. Yeah we empower them to become the owner of that data and then allow multiple agencies to use only that data which is required. Now when we say that uh, there are requirements on the government side and there is lots of data which uh, uh, is basically very much useful or required for uh, the development plans of the country but may not be very harmful if used, say, for example, anonymized data about the income yeah. levels of yeah. citizens or migration of people to know, uh, you know, where people are going and what kinds of jobs may be required. So that data can be put in the open data. When we say open data, it actually means that you convert the data into a machine readable format, taking mm -hmm. out all the personal information, but only leave that information through which some intelligence may be derived for doing evidence-based planning by the government. So we could open up those data sets where not only governments, but private players also can utilize that open data to create new applications and services for citizens, as long as we are able to ensure that the public data of people is not misused. And that is, I think, very beautifully addressed in this entire data empowerment and protection framework. Once implemented, I think this will be the first of its kind globally. Such okay. a mature uh, data empowerment framework. It is like turning the entire thing of data privacy around its head, making a citizen uh, owner of his data hmm. and giving him power to be able to give and withdraw consent on each of its uh, data elements, depending upon his own needs, rather than signing a blanket agreement with anybody saying you can use whatever data I have on my phone or, or on my laptop. Okay. That, that sounds very interesting and I think exciting as well to look out for in digital governance and especially urban governance. So that brings me to the last question on lines of no doubt a lot of new development is required in tech, in socio-technical aspect as well that we were talking about with design thinking. And another comes also with policy that you just brought up at the end that uh, it's very important to make sure that these things are taken into account. So what kind of skill sets do you see would be important in these fields for anyone who is interested in working in this kind of field in future? Basically, before we come to that, we have to understand uh, one thing that, you know, post this COVID pandemic, hmm. going digital is no more an option. Yeah. You know, this has become the new normal. And if you, if you read the global studies, more than 95% jobs in future would require you to have digital skills. Hmm. You know, you won't able to do without them. So one thing which everybody needs to understand is that this new normal is going to be 
mostly digital. So, incidentally, the government of India policy or the Digital India Mission actually set it long back, uh, digital by default. Yeah. Or mobile first policy, which they. But now, post COVID, that is no more uh, an option. It's a compulsion uh, that you would have to not only do most. Uh, things digitally, but as I am saying, even to respond in future to pandemics like this or any other disasters, the power of being able to utilize data in real time, do predictive modeling, use artificial intelligence, have embedded systems to make sure that uh, you know citizens are given services on a proactive basis, even if before they can you know they reach a stage where. Uh, recovering becomes very difficult for them. So uh, I think understanding how to utilize digital systems as a minimal level as the users. But if you want to be a professional uh, learning about digital user interfaces, data analytics, robotics, artificial intelligence, blockchain is going to be Hugely, hugely. Uh, so uh, what is being said is that 95% uh, of the jobs would require digital skills, but the kind of digital technologies which are coming would also create additional uh, more than 2 million jobs. Okay. Uh, the nature of which is not yet known. Hmm. What is known is that they will be in the digital domain. They would be related to industry 4.0 technologies. But what would be the jobs we will know only in the future uh, once we have embedded systems and uh, all these things becoming mainstream. So I guess uh, uh, one uh, uh, which uh, anybody who's looking for a job, at least in the digital domain, will have to learn is that one, it'll have to be a continuous learning. So if you have the temperament to unlearn and relearn fast, okay. then should opt for this domain because the knowledge you acquire today may become obsolete uh, in six months or maximum one year and you may have to acquire new knowledge about a new digital system. So one thing, the agile, uh, we've been talking about agile governance and agile working, but I guess yeah. uh, agile learning also becomes uh, <laughs> uh, a field where you learn about uh, new things that come and, and the development is so rapid that uh, that's why they are called disruptive technologies. They, they, yeah. they would totally disrupt the way we think about governance, we think about service delivery, we think about doing business. Everything yeah. is being disrupted by these technologies and I guess the people who are coming next into their careers or their government jobs would have to not only learn these uh, skills quickly, but will also be uh, need to equally learn the skills of unlearning. I think that will yeah. be very important. Uh, but isn't six months to one year very aggressive when we look at it in the agile practice as well? Because learning unlearning in a year's time as well is a huge task. And when we are talking about a country like India, which has 1.3 billion people, that's a huge risk in itself while i would also try to believe on the line that maybe automated systems would have been advanced by that time but uh, still one year learning cycle might be uh, too much for a lot of people 
at least that is my thought process on those lines basically you know i responded to your question of what skill people will have to learn who want to work yeah. in this domain yeah yeah so end users that much of unlearning is not required okay okay this is that earlier is intelligent would be intelligent enough to change itself according to the needs so that the user interface for the end users will remain the same oh okay. but those who want to be in a job of designing such systems they will have to will, be adaptive so it's not for those who are uh, seeking to use these systems for getting services they don't have to be that agile and uh, change themselves okay. because user interface will become so intuitive that the need to learn about it to use it will become very minimal hmm. but okay. able to design that kind of a system the kind of skills you would require will change rapidly okay understood so you have to move from uh, digital mobile technologies to nanotechnologies to surface technologies that is something which is for the professionals who want to come into this field but for the end users including our city administrators etc who are making policies etc will not be that difficult because front end would keep on becoming so simple that maybe in 10 years you don't need to learn about it to be able to use it it becomes part of your day to day life the way mobile phones have become okay okay yeah that that does uh, sound plausible and yeah that that was very interesting as well to understand the whole ecosystem of uh, digital urban governance and digital governance any last thoughts if you have and would like to share that would be great basically as parting thoughts i would say that the fact that a new normal has been thrust upon us let's not look at it as a challenge but uh, look at it uh, as an opportunity because we have now you know suddenly through this pandemic got an opportunity to redesign the legacy systems which without the pandemic would not have possible become possible this could have taken another 15 years for the governments to move and change their systems but the pandemic has now provided that opportunity where you're getting to redesign the entire system so while redesigning if we could utilize whatever is available today through industry 4.0 technologies hmm. we will be able to leapfrog and just bypass an entire era of development yeah. and the next level or maybe catch up with the developed countries maybe even do better than them because our burden of legacy systems is much lower than uh, they have so i think this is a huge opportunity for us to create 21st century systems because the pandemic has given you that opportunity to you know use disruptive technologies or disruptive governance methodologies yeah i absolutely agree with that that we do have to utilize this as an opportunity to make sure that we can scale up at a faster rate thank you thank you mr vikas for a very interesting conversation about digital urban governance um i really hope that our audience has also enjoyed this talk with us and i hope that they now know a bit better of what future holds for them in the digital urban governance sector thank you 
hope so and i wish everyone very good luck and a much better time ahead with this state of the art new systems post covid 19 pandemic era yes i i think that that should be a good progress for us as well thank you so thank much you. You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, visit us at www.c-q.niua.org and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. The show is conceptualized, hosted and produced by Punit Gandhi. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.